Hey guys, welcome back. This is Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 148. Is this you or your coping mechanism? All right, a little bit of mystery there, but uh, get right into it. But before I do, um, don't forget, please, I'm, I'm trying to share this with people who would find it interesting. And it turns out, you know, it's not a huge number of people and it uh, there's so much noise out there in the podcasting YouTube blogging world and you know I figure the only way that those people are going to find it and and I'm sympathizing because I am that person looking for those podcasts right they're hard to find and so if you like this or know somebody who you think might like it uh, I would appreciate if you let them know about it and I appreciate you listening and paying attention to what I'm doing and I would extend the invitation for you to get in contact with me so we can make this more of a discourse and I can figure out how to be more a part of this community and of yours. So anyway, coping mechanisms. Is this you or your coping mechanism? Let me tell you a little story about how this happened. So as part of my therapy experience, I do a lot of quizzes, right? And you might have had some experience with this too. Things like personality assessments, like the Myers-Briggs, or maybe like an attention deficit disorder quiz, or am I depressed? You, There's all these lines of interrogation, either directly one-on-one with a counselor, coach, or therapist, or on many of the tests that you can take to sort of help you identify these things. Well, recently, uh, I was doing a series of Asperger's autism spectrum neurodivergency tests and, you know, and, and sort of looking at the questions. And I really, I was reminded of this same predicament that I find myself in Every time I do these introspective interrogation type, you know, either somebody posits a question to me or I'm reading one of these quizzes and I find myself going, well, yeah, it, it depends, <laughs> right? That classic, it depends answer. But in this case, what it depended on was where I, what the sort of um, environment of the situation was. And and for me, I find a direct split between it's just me. I don't have to worry about anybody else. It's my own feelings. It's my own needs. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I, I you know, it's like, am I hungry? Kind of thing. Uh, some basic questions. I answer those differently if it's just me, and I and, and I answer them differently if I have to consider the needs of other people. And so, I guess for me, it comes down to like, is this situation something about me, where I'm just trying to navigate my day and my choice is not going to influence or affect someone else? Or is this a group dynamic, like we're working in teams at my job or something like that, where I have to sort of consider what everybody else wants? Those answers are going to be different, right? I might really be craving like some kind of weird sushi, but I know that I've got like a bunch of kids and my friends and special dietary needs or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to modify that. And so it's kind of like when I see these questions, and so I thought about like, why do we modify our decisions? And well, the, the example I just presented where we have to consider other people's needs is one, and this could be completely my own neuroses and my own background. But the other time I think we do that is when we are um, influenced by our coping mechanisms, right? Things that we've learned in life, things that we have experienced in life that have told us you can't navigate these situations this way because you will be viewed as a bad person, you will be shunned, you will be unloved, you will be disliked, you will be cut out, you will be laughed at, whatever it is. And so we learn through life, whether we know this or not, 
that we we sort of have to have to act certain ways or follow certain cultural norms or belief systems in order to be successful in navigating a social situation right and we call these things coping mechanisms things like like we might be uh, afraid of heights but we've learned that if we don't look down we can deal with it. And then like, say we're, you know, good example, me and my wife on our first date, we went hiking on a trail and there just happened to be a, a, a wild, a firefighting spotting tower. You know, one of those towers that people climb up and they look around the forest to see if there's fires and you could still, even though it had been abandoned and the ladder up to the first story had been taken off, we could figure out a way to get up there. And so she wanted to climb it and I had to you know, be brave and insert some coping mechanisms. And those were sort of things like distract myself, not think about what I'm doing. And eventually, by the time we got close to the top, those coping mechanisms started to fail. And I had to be like, I can't go any further. And I had to be vulnerable, even though that, you know, may have meant the end of the date or, you know, an unsuccessful future. It didn't. It turns out it worked out pretty, pretty okay for me. But that's that kind of situation. Or I'm trying to think like, um, maybe, and I'll use this example in a minute, well, let's just go straight to it. Like in the Myers-Briggs assessment, there's lots of questions that sort of want to put you in these categories. And it's a question maybe as simple as sort of like, how, where do you get your energy? Do you get energy from being active in a group of people? Or do you get your energy by sort of isolating yourself and recharging your batteries? That's a classic dichotomous question to identify whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, right? Well, you may say, you know, for me... um. I like performing music in front of people. I like the attention of being a public speaker and having a captive audience. I like thinking that people are actually listening to what I'm saying, uh, and I'm not afraid to be vulnerable in that situation. And I don't necessarily get energy from that, but to a certain degree, yeah, in the moment I do. Now, I do need to then go away from that. And after too long of sort of interacting with people and being seemingly very extroverted, you know, like... One of the dads in uh, the sort of the, the sort of homeschooling group that I know real well uh, is I've said you're the most extroverted introvert I've ever met. <laughs> Every time I see you, you're talking to somebody. Well, what they don't see is after that's all over, I feel completely exhausted and I have to go like lay down on the couch and recharge my battery. So I'm probably more of an introvert. But the point is, in that question, it really depends on the situation. And what I think is, I, I, I used to struggle with this a lot, but I have taught myself how to communicate with other people because it's important. And I taught myself how to be a public speaker because I had to be a teacher. And I sucked at it. And I was tired of feeling nauseous and scared. And so I was like, all right, I got to come up with some coping mechanisms. Now, one could argue that I learned. But in this situation, I consider myself to be introverted by most of the definitions of that term. I recharge my batteries in isolation. I want to, I, I want to be alone most of the time, but I don't want to be a hermit, right? And, but but primarily I'm. But does, does that make me this ambivert? Does, are we all just ambiverts? We all have these. Maybe that's the maybe that's the point of this whole talk here is we're all sort of in the middle, and really it does all depend. Every answer is it depends, but I don't think that's necessarily true. But these Asperger tests really got me thinking about this because I'm like, you know. I can answer, like eye contact is another great example. Do, you know, one of the diagnostic tools for autism and to a lesser degree Asperger's is that you have trouble making eye contact. Well, guess what? I have trouble making eye contact. But 
I have learned that people like that. It's more meaningful. And that looking away is kind of a little weird and maybe even perceived as a little bit rude, I learned as I'm studying about neurodivergence. And I think over time, I have learned to you know, make myself make eye contact with people. It's a coping mechanism to avoid being, well, either myself thinking I might have Asperger's or somebody else thinking that, or just being turned off by my mode of conversation because I do want to have intimate relationships with people. And if eye contact is one of the ways to do that, well, I'm going to force myself to be able to do that. But every time I do, it's hard. It isn't natural. It isn't, I didn't change in my, um, feelings around doing it. I can do it. So it's like classic coping mechanism, right? Um, so, so another one is just maybe another bad example, but one more before I move on is just sort of general assertiveness. Like I am not assertive. I am what on one hand might, you might say I'm easygoing. I'm laid back. I'm easy to please. I'll go along with the crowd. If somebody wants to eat sushi and I'm not really in the mood, eh, it's no big deal. I'll just eat sushi. I don't really care what we eat. I'm just happy to be with people and have a meal. I really feel like that. But that personality type or trait or way of being can be challenging if when it comes down to things that you really need. If I'm not getting my needs met, if I really do need to stop the car and use the bathroom, that's probably better than me just suffering through it. And so you need to learn to be assertive. But So when I see a question like that on one of these quizzes or a personality test, are you naturally, as, or they won't say that, but in this situation, can you be assertive? I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm not, that's not my natural tendency. And I guess that's what I'm getting at here. We all have these sort of natural tendencies. If it were up to us, uh, in any situation, all things being the same, there were no consequences, I might do A. But I have learned through cultural norms and learning and, tra- and, and domestication, what Don Miguel Ruiz would call domestication, the process of sort of being integrated into a culture. I have learned that maybe the way that I naturally tend towards doing something isn't really the most socially acceptable way of being. And I've learned to do what is more favorable in that condition. And that is a coping mechanism. It never was going to become my natural way. And why this is really important is it gets at the self in, in, in something like IFS, which I'll talk more about in a minute, internal family systems. You know, we're trying to find the true us, the real us, the self with a capital S that sort of is our natural condition or tendency and understands the context that in certain situations we may not want to do this because these people feel this way and so I'm going to behave this way and insert a coping mechanism. So before I go all the way there, another way of looking that people will call your sort of old beliefs or limiting beliefs that we, that we sort of as in the context of, I'm not saying that, that um, coping mechanism is a limiting belief, but we, as we grow up as kids, we learn how to navigate touchy, scary, uncomfortable situations when we have no guidance, when we're by ourselves with our peers or in some situation where we don't have a parent or a, a trusted adult to help us through, we create a way through. And when those things are successful, our bodies sort of remember and go, yeah, when you get in this situation, do this. And the classic example of that is the class clown who learns that when they're bullied or maybe uncomfortable, if they can make people laugh, then they can 
find some peace in that moment and, and maybe have some positive attention and not feel bad anymore. And then they become sort of the the tragic comedian, right? Because that becomes your MO that you go to all the time. You're always trying to make people laugh. You end up very exhausted and people don't see you for the real person. Anyway, limiting beliefs are like that. Things that worked in our past to get us out of uncomfortable situations, we continue to do as adults, but maybe they don't work anymore or they're inappropriate, but we can't let them go. And so we go through coaching and therapy and and uh, uh, counseling to help us understand that and learn new behaviors, right? Uh, and that's, you know, when coping mechanisms have a positive outcome, we don't need to do that necessarily, except for they get us farther and farther away from and distract us from who we really are. Go back to my 50 arc episode about the R versus should problem. It's the same sort of situation. This is how I naturally feel, but this is the way I've learn to believe I am supposed to or how I should feel in these situations. And I'm going to insert this one more than this one. And that sort of gets to the the codependency uh, situation where you value the needs of others over your own. And then, I mean, it, it's, it's, this is a symptom or an element underlying a lot of different problems. Uh, not saying this is something that you can necessarily change if it is an artifact of something like Asperger's or autism, or ADHD, but maybe it isn't. (laughs) And I think at least being aware of situations where, you know, how do you know the difference between who you are, what yourself wants to do, and all of these complicated coping mechanisms you've learned over time, that because of reinforcement of feeling better, and maybe even erroneous assignment of, I did this behavior and I felt better, therefore this behavior is good. Sometimes that may not be true, but we believe that it's true, and then it becomes incorporated into who we are. And I really believe that midlife and older life is about disassembling <laughs> these pieces. And this is just one step closer. And no, and nowhere else is it more obvious, I think, in the work of Richard Schwartz and Internal Family Systems Therapy, that's been around now for 40 or so years where we he, he has sort of organized that line of thinking and calls our coping mechanisms and our limiting beliefs maybe parts. These are parts of us that are so reinforced, they're almost like subtle sub-personalities. And they're literally like a family of, of personalities that exist within a single human being. And the single governing body in there is self with a capital S. And the goal of IFS is to to identify what all these parts are, what the coping mechanism underlying those parts are, what you really feel like, or what you really need in any of these situations, and how you might be able to navigate these future similar situations where you insert these parts in the associated behaviors and rather come from a more self-led place. And that's why I think it's a beautiful um, line of work, not only because in identifying and meeting these parts, you really learn a lot about yourself, but you also learn a lot about the trauma that led to the development of those parts. And essentially, the old beliefs and the coping mechanisms wrapped up inside those parts that you can now make a decision about. Because when we were kids and our backs were up against the wall and we just needed a survival mechanism as a way out, like the tragic clown sort of example, we did whatever we could think of in the moment, which is awesome. We are, we are amazing creatures that we can do that sort of thing. You know, imagine a very traumatic, uh, um, like something like sexual abuse for a child. We will figure out a way to make it through the day by creating a story about that, that 
makes it okay in some sort of condition. Now, depending on the severity of the trauma, I suppose, or maybe not depending on the severity of the trauma, it's important, I think, to to recreate a moment almost and process that in a way that doesn't lead you directly into always inserting some particular coping mechanism or limiting belief behavior every time a situ- similar situation arises, right? I don't think that's the truth because that's not growth, right? That's almost like Einstein is attributed with saying, if you continue to insert the same uh, uh, solution to a problem over and over again and it fails, then that's insanity, right? So I think not coming up with improved or less traumatic or less suffering-inducing reactions to situations in your life is a good thing. (laughs) It's probably part of one of the things humans are, quote-unquote, supposed to do to live a good life is to learn to better navigate the difficult situations, right? And and, and make more room for joy and less room for suffering. And I think this is a way toward that. So, I mean, so the, the question remains, are you you or are you your coping mechanism? In whatever situation you're in, and, and I guess in a Marshall Rosenberg nonviolent communication kind of way, are you getting your needs met in this? And if so, then maybe the coping mechanism is a healthy one. But if you are not getting your needs met and you're sort of kicking the can down the road, Right, you're le- you're leaving yourself open and vulnerable to another instance of this same thing coming up and inducing some sort of suffering in, in, in an insane way, inserting the same coping mechanism again, and then ending up in the same sort of spiraling down, downward non-solution to progressing in a less suffering, more rewarding, more needs met kind of way as a human being. Isn't that what we need? There's there's something in here. Uh, and I think it's important. And I think these types of questions, these types of tests that I mentioned, like Asperger's quizzes and Myers-Briggs and ADHD assessment and Am I Depressed and all those sort of things, which you can find many of them online and lots of them through reputable therapy sites or medical sites. So, you know, that's not just trying to sell you some snake oil solution. Uh, these questions, think if you think about them in this perspective, like, well, how do I feel in a crowd, a noisy crowd with lots of lighting and effects and stuff like that. Well, you know what? Lots of lights and noise really bother me. I don't like them. Uh, well, does that mean that I'm Asperger's? Well, hold on, you know, or maybe it's just, I don't like lots of crowds or maybe it's because you know what? If I want to go see a two hour concert, it's going to cost me a thousand dollars. It's going to cost me two days and a hotel room. You know, I think it's just not worth it. You know, maybe it has nothing to do <laughs> with the noise and the lights, and maybe it's more about this other thing. Anyway, I think we're very quick to sort of to sort of answer these questions that are not that, that are designed to get to a point because the nuance is just really hard. You know, it's almost as if we have so oversimplified the human psyche and the self that it has kind of become this cookie cutter thing. And we've just sort of forgotten that the answers depend, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like my episode. I don't know, right. I don't know where the three magic, most powerful words in the, in, the, in the English language and related languages, you know, saying it depends is kind of like saying, I don't know. And maybe these are moments where if we feel that little pang of not some instantaneous reaction, like if, if, if somebody's going to ask me, do you like really, 
uh, loud concerts, I'm going to say no. I would much rather see an intimate, quiet concert where the crowd is quiet and not make any noise so that they can hear the performance. That's going to be my preference every time, 100%. I'm sure of it. Versus another question of like, are you energized by being with a group of people? Well, yes, sometimes if it's a group of people I really like and feel comfortable with, yeah, that gives me some energy. Of course, afterwards, I'm going to have to go recharge my batteries, but that's not what the question's asking me. Do you see the difference? And so I think it's worth spending a little more time on this. And I, and I, and I, I would venture to say that being aware of this, this is me, or this is one of my parts or this is a coping mechanism, or this is not really how I feel, but just a way that I have behaved in the past because it's protected me. Being able to make room for that conversation in our daily lives, in our interactions with our our families and our relationships with people at our jobs, this is a really powerful tool. Whatever's inside that, and I don't have a how-to, you know, first you have to catch it which I, again, I've said before, a daily practice of things like journaling and meditation and exercise and good diet helps us make room to pause and catch this and kind of go, hey, wait a minute, how do I really feel here? Instead of just automatically inserting this behavior uh, and, then, and, then, and then being honest with ourselves and sort of saying, you know what, I've always done this, but I don't really like it. Or, you know, it's not producing the results that I want. What's going on here? How can I change that? I think that is an incredibly powerful tool that humans can use in a nutshell. And I would really love to, in the future, maybe develop some techniques of, uh, of how to sort of navigate that situation. And I hope that you are picking up what I'm laying down, because I think that can be extremely beneficial to people, and at least the very least of sort of validating thoughts that you've had uh, uh, that are similar. And so uh, the next time you're you, you, you have the wherewithal to, 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 to buy yourself a minute to think about what's going on in your life, which is challenging enough in itself, you know, maybe ask yourself, is this me or is this some coping mechanism? Is this something I learned in my childhood that got me through a tragic or traumatic situation that I don't need anymore? Uh, and how might I be able to better get my needs met uh, in this situation? What's the, what's the real me need right now? I think that's incredibly valuable. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, 148. Is this you or your coping mechanism? I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'll see you next time. I appreciate your attention. Take it easy.